0: This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradio.network.org/pets.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network, broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. Um, so, you know, we live in some trying times right now. I find that, you know, I I find that a lot of fellow food content creators, writers, podcast hosts, and the like, find it, it's really tough sometimes to focus on food for enjoyment's sake. And, you know, when at the same time, so many messed up things are going on in this world. Like, for instance, I opened the New York Sunday Times um, this morning, and I read this story by a professor at the University of Michigan and she writes about three separate incidents of racially charged intimidation on campus just in the short amount of time that the school semester has begun and having to respond to it with like measured statements over and over again in that frustration And uh, you know I sense that a lot of people are feeling frustrated and and, and a little helpless about how to how to, continue to resist um, and, and fight for the change they want to see in the world. So the author I'm joined with today has a really, really important and powerful message. And um, for anyone who's interested in food, I think you might find this really, really great. Um, she writes about how food can, if passion for food can be used to as, to channel into something positive. I mean, actually, food is always positive, but something actionable. So her book is called Feed the Resistance, Recipes and Ideas for Getting Involved. It's written by Julia Tertian, who's joining us right now on the line. Hi, Julia. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. And I should also mention that you also (laughs) recently wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, also called Feed the Resistance.
3: Yeah, I was very fortunate to get to (laughs) sort of share that with that audience. So yeah, Yeah. super excited to talk to you about all of the above.
2: Um, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And I should mention that all proceeds of this book will be donated to the ACLU. So the book project in itself is a work of, of activism and fundraising. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really great to get a, hang on, uh, get a hold of this book. Um, I want to start with, um, you write in the introduction that food is the most democratic thing with a lowercase d. is the most democratic thing in the world, With a lowercase d, and it affects us all. Um, What exactly do you mean by that?
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, In the introduction, I was sort of talking about all these different ways, um, you know, that food can connect us. um, Mm -hmm. Us being, you know, citizens of the world, um, and all the different ways I've been able to connect to my own community and family and friends and you know all that with food. So. When I refer to it as the most democratic thing, um, you know, I don't mean that as a partisan thing. I just mm-hmm. mean, you know, it's something that, I mean, it's truly the one thing we all in the world have in common. We all need to eat. Um, we all, you know, hopefully get to eat, some of us more than others. Um, and so it is this incredibly unifying thing. But within food, there's so, um, there's so many variables and there's so much nuance and there's, uh, you know, so much about food that can inform ourselves about ourselves and about each other. So it's, you know, it's something with um, so many particulars, but it's also so unbelievably universal. And I think there's a lot of power in that.
2: Mm-hmm. And your book tells um, a, a powerful message about how, how anyone can stand up and be active in their communities. Um, but you write that, you know, this is nothing new. This has been going on in some forms for a very long time. Um, you know, protesting, for instance, is is as old as America itself. Um, but I didn't realize that there was a history, you know, so much of a history of food being involved in, in activism. Um, you mentioned that there were women who sold homemade baked goods to offset transportation uh, funds. During the bus boycotts of Montgomery, Alabama, during the nineteen fifties, and uh, what are what are some other ways that food has been used as uh, a catalyst for change or, or part of part of protest movements?
3: Sure, yeah, food definitely has um, an enormous legacy in the history of of resistance, mm-hmm. um, and there's amazing examples during the civil rights group, including. Um, what you mentioned, which was Georgia Gilmore's Club from Nowhere, um, which was this group of women who cooked and baked. Um, they sold, you know, the food they created to, you know, feed the activists, the Wait, protesters. Yeah, tell um, us a little
2: bit and, more about what that means by Club from Nowhere. What were they trying to do? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's it's
3: a pretty incredible name, and actually in um, his latest book uh, called The Potlicker Papers, John T. Edge wrote the sort of most extensive um, kind of uh Sort of history and recounting of of Georgia Gilmore in the Club cool. from Nowhere, um, mm-hmm. which I highly recommend reading. Yeah. I believe it's the first chapter of the book, and um, you know he explains really well about sort of the origins of the name um, that it it very much ties to the fact that Georgia Gilmore was a you know was a black woman working in the Jim Crow South, and she worked for a white family, and for her to be part of um, you know the movement, um, you know she she found a way to do it, but didn't. Um, means sacrificing her, her job, mm-hmm. um, and, sh- uh, you know, so she sort of cooked and baked, sold these things, um, donated all the money to, you know, things like tires and gasoline mm-hmm. for the people who were driving, people who, you know, weren't using the buses, um, and she did this all while main- maintaining her, um, you know, her own sort of her life and her job. Um, so, you know, being an activist for her didn't mean being, you know, on the front lines, of the protest, like in the you know in the front row, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know so she created this thing called the club from nowhere, which just sort of I think <laughs> is such an amazing name because it yeah. sort of is like this thing that exists and you don't quite know where they are. Doesn't um, matter. And I yeah. think it sort of speaks to the sort of spectrum of of activism and okay. resistance that there's something that you know we can all do, and I think you know to your original question about sort of the legacy of food and the in resistance work. Um, you know, act an act of resistance is is an act. You know, it's mm-hmm. like this living thing, and there's uh, you know activists and protesters. And, you know, all that. Everyone needs to eat, and mm-hmm. you know, there's um, there's a role for everyone, including the people who I you know who quite literally feed the resistance, um, who provide the food, who yeah. take care of people. Uh, you know, the hospitality that comes with cooking for other people.
2: Yeah. And I like that you write that, you know, it's one of those things that is a tangible sense of accomplishment when you actually cook something physical. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gives you that, you know, um, that, you know, just that feeling of of having done something that you can take a picture of <laughs> or eat. <laughs> um, but you also there's a warning here. There's um there's a, a great essay by Mickey Halpern Halpin. Sorry. And. Um, called practical, practical Activism, I can't speak today, oh, okay. um, in your book, where she says, you know, if you want to do something, don't try to do everything, mm-hmm. like don't mm-hmm. try to go to every march and sign every petition and be everywhere at once, because what, what happens then?
3: because then you burn out. <laughs> um, and Mickey's Mickey's essay, which I'm so thrilled that Mickey contributed to the book, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, sort of adapted from an essay that Mickey had posted online sort of shortly after the election. And it was an essay that really inspired me, um, and I think many others, and I'm so grateful to have this version in the book, because it's, re- it's just very sound advice and I think it also speaks to the fact that the resistance and any, you know, large movement that involves human and civil rights, you know, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint and, mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. we have to figure out ways to participate, um, you know, in ways that are sustainable, in ways that we can right. commit to and, you know, uh, sort of create and maintain the stamina for and, um, you know, the most important thing is showing up in whatever yeah. way we can so to you know how do we sh- how do we make sure that we can show up over and over and over again?
2: Yeah, take care of yourself. You know, look out exactly. for that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so this book is mostly recipes, though, and it's a wonderful um, assortment. But also, I love the organization. So you have three sections. Um, do you want to go through like which what they are? Sure.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely um, yeah. Fear the Resistance is it's a cookbook and. I describe it as, you know, a cookbook that's a little bit more than a cookbook because there Mm -hmm. are, you know, essays like Mickey's that we just discussed. There's a lot of other just really powerful, amazing essays. There's a list of resources. um, Mm -hmm. But at the core of the book are this collection of recipes that are um, just really great. And they're, you know, I wrote a few, but it's really mostly from these amazing contributors. And it's a... um, big, wonderful, diverse group of contributors That's all different sort of backgrounds and perspectives and food and life. Um, And so the recipes are divided into these three sections. And the first um, is called Easy Meals for Folks Who Are Too Busy Resisting to Cook, Mm -hmm. um, which was just sort of a fun title for that section but really speaks Very to empowering that. though. Yeah, yeah. no, mm-hmm. definitely and it's about, you know, they're recipes that are um, quick and easy to make. They're, you know, tend to be really healthy. Um, you know, lots of food that you can make a big batch of, put in the fridge and kind of employ in different ways. Um, you know, it's food for people who are on the go. So to me that, you know, first in mind for this book is, you know, is activists and people who are part of the resistance. But, you know, it could also be anyone living, you know, a really active, busy life which is sort of everyone on the road um, yeah mm-hmm. and the second section um is called feeding the masses and it's it's food for large crowds so its recipes kind of scaled to serve large groups which when it comes to feeding the resistance sort of quite literally it tends to yeah. involve cooking for big groups of people um you know so there's everything from uh, Hawa Hassan, who runs Bas Bas Sauce, which is this line of um, Somali condiments that are amazing. Um, I can't speak highly enough about Hawa's sauces. Oh, I love them. Um, but she gave her recipe for um, Somali pasta sauce, which she grew up with. And, um, you know, Hawa comes from, I believe she's one of ten um, siblings, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Well, so, so she
2: knows how to feed yeah, masses. She knows to
3: feed a group. So it's, you know, everything mm-hmm. from feeding a large family to, you um, the uh people's kitchen collective which is this amazing group based in the bay area they offered the recipe for the people's grits which is um a recipe for vegan grits uh that are super creamy thanks to coconut milk um
2: mm-hmm. and
3: it's that recipe is scaled for a 100 people and it's the cool. grits that they make for um a free breakfast program they do that's completely inspired by the black panther party so there's um, you know really practical recipes that are you know delicious, but they also kind of tell um, the story about all you know all the different kinds of groups and the legacy of groups and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and and then the final section of recipes um, is um uh, baked goods some sweets and things that are portable mm. um, so um, you know like these oatmeal and apple squares that you can make a big pan of and have them for breakfast all week long there's um, actually, Cheryl Day, who's uh, an incredible baker um, who runs back in the day bakery in Savannah, Georgia with her husband Griff, and they've also written incredible cookbooks that I swear by. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheryl gave her recipe for uh, chocolate espresso pie bars um, which it's like this layer of almost like a shortbread pie crust with this like chocolate coffee. Mm-hmm. They're so so good. Yeah. Um, and Cheryl's recipe was um, completely inspired by Georgia Gilmore in *The Club from Nowhere*. Um, and there's also what else was in that section? There's um, Jocelyn Delk Adams' spiced brown sugar pound cake, which is a family recipe, and she talks about what that, you know, where that cake has appeared in, in her mm-hmm. family. Um, so yeah, so those are the three sections of sort of like easy, quick meals. Uh, things that are easy to make for a big crowd and then things you can sort of, you know, wrap up your meal with or sort of take on the go. And the recipes are kind of, you know, come from all these different uh, worlds and influences and uh, it's a big range. But I would say the things they all have in common is they all tend to be quite affordable. You know, this recipe is, uh, this cookbook is full of really practical recipes that don't cost a lot of money to prepare. Um, They tend to all be, pretty easy to prepare, and I think all the recipes really encourage kind of, you know, sharing the food, whether it's with, you know, you know whoever you live with or, you know, whatever your sort of nearest community is.
2: Mm-hmm. And I, do you think they're also good for food pantries, you know, feeding soup kitchens?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, in the final section of the baked goods and stuff is um, one of the recipes I put in the book was um, the bread pudding that I make all the time um, mm-hmm. for this group called Angel's Food, which is an organization that my wife and I volunteer at every week. Um, and we prepare meals for, it's usually 60 to 70 people um, in our local community who are homebound for a variety of reasons, but mostly chronic illness. And that it's, it's tends to be a, an elderly population. Um, and we get a lot of bread donations, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we give out the bread, but we're often left with leftover Leftover bread bread. that's kind of dried out. So I make this bread pudding all the time. That
2: sounds great.
3: Yeah, so, um, yeah, stuff like that, you know, being able to reuse ingredients that are maybe a little bit past their prime, but Mm -hmm. can be turned into something else. Yeah, there's definitely a little something for everyone
2: I think it's so great there's there's a need for more resources on how to feed the masses in a cheap and efficient and hopefully crowd pleasing way so
3: absolutely
2: yeah and I love how also you have an actual photograph of these contributors in the back of the book so that you know you get to place a name with a face and maybe learn a little bit about a little more about their work if you, if you like because they're all like really really great um, folks on their own there's like you know Brian Terry, um, a chef and author, um, Tunde Wei, he's a, a, organizer, you know, lots of, lots of really interesting people who are involved, um, with great projects. So. Yeah.
3: And it was, it was important to me that we were able to, you know, put a face to every name and, mm-hmm. um, kind of, yeah. you know,
2: I really see that though.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, no, I'm glad you pointed that out cause mm-hmm. that was, a that was an important thing to include and, mm-hmm. um. I think a few things. One was that, you know, this book, I reached out to lots of people I know, but I I mostly was reaching out to people I wanted to know better, um, people whose work I had heard about and admired. Uh And so I thought, um, you know, best to, you know, introduce these amazing contributors to as big of an audience as possible. Um, Uh So I think that's the place where you can kind of meet them. Uh Um, And I think also um, in putting together the book um, when it came to, reaching out to contributors, I was thinking so much about representation and just the power of visibility. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's a really diverse group of contributors. And it was important to me because, frankly, as, as a white woman who works in food, I, I often see myself reflected in the, you know, in food media. Um, and I, I know that's not an experience every reader has. So, mm-hmm. I you know, it was very important to me that any anyone reading the book could, you know, see someone Right, perhaps to look like them, reflecting. Yeah.
2: Well, we want to talk more about your work and what everyone can do to start getting involved. um, After a quick little commercial break, and we'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor & Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor & Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor & Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradio.network.org/pets.
2: All right, we're back chatting more with Julia Tertian, the author of a really inspirational and practical book, "Feed the Resistance." Um, so, Julia, you've been a cookbook author. Um, you you have a great best-selling cookbook called "Small Victories." And um, But how did you get involved in the resistance? And how did I get involved? Sorry, it just went off for a second. <laughs> sorry, I'm just speaking in faux French. Oh, okay. um, In the sorry. resistance.
3: Oh, in the resistance. I'm so sorry. I was okay. listening so closely. Um, so, yeah, well, thanks for yeah your kind words about my work. I've been mm-hmm. yeah working on cookbooks sort of forever. Um, and I mm-hmm. learned to cook when I was a little kid through cookbooks. So cookbooks have been kind of my whole life, um, and in terms of sort of connecting my work as a cookbook author to, you know, my, you know, role in the resistance, it was it was very much, um, for me, it was sort of born from the momentum of uh, the most recent presidential election, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I found myself, like many people I know, um, many people I don't know personally, um, just feeling really, uh, you know, scared, and sad and frustrated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I am someone who is, uh, very, very uncomfortable when I'm not doing something. Um, mm-hmm. so I felt desperate to do something and to yeah. do something active that I felt could contribute something positive to the conversation and, and also productive. Yeah. Um, so I kind of thought, you know, what are ways to, um, you know, add a new kind of layer of meaning and purpose to my work. Right. Um, and so for me, putting together this book meant, you know, I can do the sort of work that I love to do and that I essentially do anyway. Um, recipe
2: development. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly.
3: And, um, you know, put it together in this collection. And how can I do that in a way that, um, you know, benefits an organization um, that, you know,
2: doing really
3: good work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all the proceeds go to the ACLU. How can I do this work in a way that, you know, isn't just about lifting up my own voice, but, you know, voices of other people in my community and my industry. Um, So this book really gave me an opportunity to, uh, you know, contribute something and do something, which I'm, I'm just very grateful for. And my hope is that, you know, anyone reading the book will um, you know, be inspired to do, you know, one of the suggestions in the book, or, you know, hopefully it'll just be um, a support for whatever they're already doing, or uh-huh. maybe just help them think of something that, you know, fits their own criteria.
2: Yeah. What if somebody's just getting started out um, and is looking for groups? And I know you live in a fairly rural area in mm-hmm. Hudson Hudson Valley of upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so... Say somebody's living, you know, also in a smaller town or a big city. <laughs> um, what's a good way to kind of get involved in your local community uh, organizations? Sure, yeah. I think a big thing that, I, you know, I, I, th- I would say I have
3: became just a sort of like a sidebar, more, um, you know, more involved in activism and, um, you know, would consider myself to be more political, definitely you know, in the last couple of years, like leading yeah. up to this election and then definitely afterwards. Um, but my work in in food and in my community, wherever it is that I've lived, um, has been something I've always, uh, you know, had as part of my, you know, just regular routine. And I think There's, you know, there's always opportunities wherever you live. And I've lived in a couple of places. Um, Yeah,
2: you still live in New York City, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And
3: there's, you know, there's opportunities wherever you are to get involved. And it can be, you know, I really do believe that, you know, serving your community and volunteering um, is actually an act of resistance. And um, is definitely a political act. And I think, you know, being political or being an activist, sometimes, you know, people are... uh, you know, a few things maybe put off by those words, or intimidated, or, you know, a number of things that feel maybe not super comfortable. And I think understanding that, for me, I feel like being political is just being community-minded. So anyway, so in terms of getting involved, I guess my biggest piece of advice is you don't have to start anything, and you don't have to reinvent a wheel. There's there's organizations and individuals who... um, are in every single community um, who are already, you know, doing the work and have set up systems. And Mm -hmm. I think plugging into things that already exist and figuring out how you can, uh, you know, cross something off of someone's list Um, you know you don't have to write your own like you can really be part of something so
2: click that volunteer opportunity you know tab or something yeah check it out and
3: i honestly i've I've spoken to a lot of people about this and i wrote a little piece recently um for my wife grace's site design sponge about volunteering and you know ways we volunteer and it's i mean what i'm about to say sounds so kind of almost silly, but I think the best thing to do is Google wherever you live and the word volunteer.
2: Oh, <laughs> like nice. Start there. And Ooh, yeah. there's
3: so many things that come up, and I think even if the first thing that comes up isn't a good fit, you know, that might lead you to something that is a better fit. And yeah. the same goes for grassroots organizations. They're everywhere, and, you know, they could all use a hand. And I think showing up to things that are already in place, um, it's definitely the best use of everyone's time.
2: Yeah. And I know that you've always sort of contributed at, uh, hunger organizations, things like local homeless, you know, feeding, feeding people mm-hmm. organizations. So that's always something that's, again, it'll give you that sense of actual, um, tangible accomplishment, feeding people, um, and a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on going to, these days, going to a rally, you know, going down to D.C. for this and that. And, um, and and you know, that's great and all. But, um, you know, you can actually make, you can see real results when you feed somebody, too.
3: Absolutely. And I think, you know, one isn't better than the other, and it's all yeah. important work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just figuring out, um, you know, what's the work that you can just continue doing. Right. I mean, doing it once is great. I'm not going to say it's not. Like, okay. you know, yeah. I think that's, you know, better than nothing. <laughs> um, but I think better than once is, is, you know, a repeat customer, basically. So, yeah. You know, whatever you can do that you can commit to. And I think the sort of full circle part of that is really understanding um, how positively this kind of work can impact your own life. Yeah, and I can say firsthand, you know, Volunteering on a regular basis with certain things in my community, I look forward to it so much. It's the best part of my week. I've gotten to know like incredible people. Um, it's a really wonderful and refreshing pause from my other work and just my own life. Um, it's work that is pleasurable and fun. And I think when we talk about um, you know food being part of activism and the resistance, the, the conversation gets. Very serious, very quickly as it should, because we're talking about really important things. But yeah. I think it's really important to remember that you know, food can still be so fun and pleasurable, even if it's part of um, something really important
2: and maybe heavy.
3: Like it doesn't, it doesn't taste less good. <laughs>
2: yeah, you can get creative too with absolutely. like the group that you're, you know, dealing with, and that could be really fun. Um, I think this might be some. Uh, what you refer to as a silver lining if there's any silver lining to the current events uh in today's political climate given the last election you know that uh, can be so very very disturbing um is that people have found um a newfound vigor for contributing and and being active in in communities in community work
3: absolutely no i think i just couldn't agree with that more and i think Um, You know, even though just as a generalization, like, a lot in the world feels a little, I don't know, disheartening is an understatement at the moment. Like, I do think one very wonderful thing is how, um, you know, increasingly connected we all are and we are, you know, we're in this together and, um, you know, I've never been more informed on a national or local level about what's going on um, and that's a good thing That is um, a good thing you know and I think we're all finding ways where we can um, participate to better whatever community we live in and that is, you know that's always going to be a good thing
2: yeah I'm going to hang on to that Thanks, Julia. (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) All right. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. But thank you so much for joining us, Julia, and for writing this book.
3: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on and getting to talk about it with you.
2: Yeah. Thanks again. Um, So check out Feed the Resistance. Help, you know, don't make a donation to the ACLU by checking out this book. And thanks, everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
3: Never had no loving like this before.